season's greetings. I'm David Allen Voiles, the host and creator of Dark Corners, and I'd like to welcome you to the second installment of our Dark Holidays mini-season for 2020. This time I offer two original holiday horror short stories, some stocking stuffers, if you will. While neither of the stories in this episode contains offensive language or violence, we do remind our audience that Dark Corners is a horror podcast, and as such, request that discretion be advised, especially for very young listeners. The first story is very short, a piece of flash fiction, actually, about a loving mother and a very excited little girl in Florida who, like many children that live in warm climes, doesn't let the impossibility of having a white Christmas keep her from enjoying the holiday as her favorite time of the year. In a way, Carol hated to go to bed. Christmas Eve was almost more fun than Christmas itself. I wish it was Christmas all year long, she said as her mother tucked her into bed. Oh, but then it wouldn't be so special. Maybe, Carol said, but I think it'd be great to have the Christmas tree and the pretty decorations up all year. Her mother just smiled and gave her daughter a kiss. She left the door open just enough to leave a reassuring sliver of light from the hallway. And before walking away, she blew her daughter another kiss and whispered, Merry Christmas. Carol turned on her side, hugging her pink stuffed horse and squeezing her eyes as tightly as she could in the hopes that sleep and Santa would come quickly. When Carol awakened, a sense of confusion and fear washed over her. The room didn't look anything like her own bedroom. Her Wonder Woman bedspread had been replaced with a thick patchwork quilt and the dresser and bedside table looked more like the old furniture in her grandmother's house. Mama, she cried as she threw back the bedclothes. When her bare feet hit the floor, she jumped back on the bed, shocked by the strange contact with a hardwood floor instead of her own soft carpet. When her mother didn't answer, she slowly forced herself off the bed and went to the window. Pressing her hands against the glass, she sobbed as she saw beautiful snow-covered pine needles rather than the familiar palmetto trees of her front yard. Carol, where are you? Let's open presents. This is no time for hide-and-seek. Carol's mother tightened the belt on her robe as she stood at the entrance to the den, her eyes darting around the room. The multicolored lights on the Christmas tree twinkled brightly, reflecting off a glass ornament in which a lovely cottage sat amidst evergreens covered in snow. In the window of one room in that tiny cottage, a little girl, frozen in the act of a silent scream, pressed her hands against the pane. I hope you enjoyed this little glimpse of Christmas horror. I suppose we might all think twice about what we wish for because we might find out, as Carol did, that at this magical time of year, some wishes do come true. Next, I'd like to take you back in time to a snowy Christmas Eve in the first half of the 20th century, when motor cars and electric streetlights were still rather new in this quaint mountain town in western North Carolina. Perhaps you can enjoy a nice cup of eggnog, 
with just a touch of something to take the chill off your bones. You might need it for this story of A Promise Kept. Merle stared out the window at the steady curtain of falling snow. In just a few hours it had reached a depth of nearly half a foot, an accumulation most unusual for Asheville that early in the season. She could barely make out the houses across the street even though it was mid-afternoon. Normally the sight of falling snow on Christmas Eve would have thrilled her and her sister Gladys, but the snow was no cause for happiness this year. Surely he won't try to make the drive, said Gladys in an attempt to comfort her sister. Surely not, agreed Merle softly, the grim expression reflected in the frosted window belying her words. The two twin spinster sisters lived in one of the grand old Victorian houses in the Montford area of Asheville. Because they had never married, they took ownership of the family house upon their parents' deaths despite the fact that they had an older brother. James had married and moved to Charlotte where he became a successful lawyer and had generously deferred his inheritance to his sisters. Unfortunately, James' wife died early in their marriage. The couple were childless, but James stayed in Charlotte nevertheless because of his law practice. He'd always been close to his sisters even though they were often the butt of his silly pranks, but their relationship became even more precious once he was a widower. They exchanged letters weekly and always made a point of being together on birthdays. The first Christmas after James' wife died, Merle and Gladys invited their brother to stay with them over the holidays. James declined their kind invitation, saying that he didn't want his grief to spoil their holiday season. They protested, but nothing they said could change James' mind. When Christmas Eve came that year, the sisters followed their annual tradition of attending early Christmas Mass at St. Lawrence's and had just sat down to their special Christmas Eve dinner when their doorbell rang. To their delight, standing there beaming with a huge smile that nearly split his face, was their dear brother James. They had a wonderful evening, and when James retired to his old bedroom, which by then had been redecorated into a fine guest room, he vowed that he would return every Christmas Eve to be with his sisters. Gladys and Merle were delighted when he shared his decision with them, although they wondered privately if the promise would be kept once James married again, something they both believed would inevitably happen. As fate would have it, James never did remarry, so he easily kept his vow to return to Asheville every year on Christmas Eve. Year after year he arrived, and the trio celebrated the event by singing carols and sharing some of James' special Christmas eggnog. The sisters insisted that the eggnog did not contain any whiskey, while James delighted in telling all the other guests that it most certainly did, and that the whiskey was in fact the reason his teetotaling sisters loved it. After many uninterrupted years of the trio celebrating their special tradition, a big snowstorm had blown unexpectedly into the Asheville area during the day on Christmas Eve. The sisters worried about their brother making the treacherous drive up from Charlotte, and since they were unable to contact him after the storm hit, they could only hope that he had the good sense to stay in Charlotte even though they hated to miss him. As each hour went by, Merle and Gladys took turns going to the parlor window to watch the snow pile up, the worry etched on their faces. Jessie, a woman whom the sisters had hired to help with cooking and cleaning many years before, 
stepped down from the small wooden stepladder on which she had been standing in order to reach the curios and knickknacks on the top shelves of the antique bookcase. Ain't no use worrying about it, she said, standing with her fists on her hips while gripping the feather duster which stuck out behind her large bottom like the tail of a prize rooster. My granddaddy said on his deathbed that he had a lot of troubles in his life, most of which never happened. The sisters looked at each other and smiled, but then they both turned their gazes back to the snow accumulating outside, and the smiles quickly faded. Because of the winter storm, the sisters were forced to forego their tradition of attending the special Christmas Eve service at St. Lawrence, and their meal was greatly simplified since they had insisted that Jessie go home much earlier in the day while she could still do so safely. As they sat down to their rather meager meal, Gladys could not even pretend to put on a hopeful face. She sighed, and then reached across the table and gripped her sister's hand. Words weren't necessary to express her deep concern. With her free hand, Merle gently patted Gladys's and said softly, I know, dear, I know. Just at that moment, they heard a loud stomping on the front stoop, the unmistakable sound of someone knocking snow from their boots. The two women jumped up with an agility they hadn't shown in years and ran to the door like a pair of giddy schoolgirls. He's here! He's here! exclaimed Gladys as she threw open the door, and indeed it was their brother James. You crazy fool! exclaimed Merle as she waited for Gladys to stop hugging her brother. And you're getting snow all over the foyer. She then took her turn, giving her brother a great big bear hug from which he thought he might never escape. You didn't think a little snow could keep me from celebrating Christmas with my sisters, did you? he asked, beaming. Nothing on earth can keep me from that. Well, now that their brother had arrived, Merle lit the candles on the Christmas tree. Gladys took her place at the piano, and they all sang Joy to the World, the first of many carols they would sing that night, with more enthusiasm than they had ever had before. The three siblings enjoyed their best Christmas Eve ever. They each commented throughout the evening on the beauty of the still-falling snow which they could monitor by the new electric streetlight that had been installed earlier that year in front of their house. Finally, they forced themselves to call an end to their merriment, much as they hated to do so. As they prepared to ascend the stairs to their respective rooms for the night, they wished each other a Merry Christmas and hugged each other once again. The next morning was cold, but beautiful and clear. Merle and Gladys sat beside the fireplace in the parlor having their tea, wondering when their beloved brother would ever rise. They were both dressed in their finest for the day's celebration and had finished their breakfast much earlier. I'm sure he was exhausted from his terrifying drive, said Gladys. Yes, I'm sure, agreed Merle, and he did have more than his fair share of eggnog. She gave her sister a knowing look and they both giggled. But it is Christmas Day and we do have presents to open. I'm going to go get him up. Gladys just shook her head and smiled as her sister ascended the stairs, making as much noise as she could. From her favorite chair in the living room, she could see Merle's firm expression as she stopped outside the guest room and knocked loudly on James' door. James? She paused for just a second or two and then called more urgently. James, are you going to sleep away Christmas Day? There was no answer. Merle looked back down into the room at her sister with a puzzled look. She knocked again. James? Still no answer. Do you think I should go in? 
Gladys shrugged and then said, knock again. She set down her teacup and made her way toward the steps. The sound of Merle's repeated knocking died away as Gladys came to stand beside her. The two looked at each other hesitantly, and then Gladys firmly turned the door handle and pushed open the door. James was not there. The bed was made. Nothing was disturbed. There were no suitcases or signs that anyone had stayed there overnight. Gaping in disbelief, both Gladys and Merle stepped into the room. Where did he go? asked Gladys. Merle looked around the bedroom, dumbfounded. A loud knock at the front door caused the two women to jump and their hearts to race. Gladys was the first to respond practically to the knock and she rushed down the stairs to the front door. A young policeman in uniform stood at the stoop, peering anxiously through the diamond-shaped windowpane at the top of the door. Yes, said Gladys urgently as she opened the door, for once her tone devoid of the sweet civility for which she was well known. What is it? Are you Merle Stevens? The young man asked, taking his hat in his hands in spite of the cold. No, I am, said Merle, coming up beside her sister. Is James Stevens of Charlotte your brother? he asked. Yes, said Merle, with a wavering voice. We're both his sisters. I, um, I have some bad news, I'm afraid. Your brother was in an accident. His car slid off the road into a ravine near Rutherfordton. But, but how could that be? asked Gladys. He couldn't have left here very long ago. We would have heard him. There must be some... How is James? Merle asked of the young man, not waiting for her sister to finish her statement. Is he hurt? I'm afraid he didn't make it. The officer nervously played with his cap as he glanced from the ground to first one sister and then the other, and then to the ground again didn't make it, repeated Gladys. What do you mean, he didn't make it? I mean, um, well, he died, Miss Stevens. I'm so sorry. The roads are so bad. You can see I couldn't even get here in a car. We only had a few vehicles with chains on them, and they're out on emergency calls, so I had to walk here from the station. There are almost no cars on the streets anywhere. No cars? asked Merle weakly, peering past the policeman and out to the driveway. But then, where's James' car? It, it was just here in the driveway. The policeman seemed confused by her question. Um, his car is still down in Rutherford County, Miss Stevens. They're going to have to wait a spell until the snow melts to pull it out. A crew of men pulled your brother's body out and were eventually able to get it to a funeral home in Rutherfordton. But there's not been a car on this street since early last night. He turned and gestured feebly behind him to indicate the smooth blanket of snow on the road. The young man was feeling quite awkward in this unfortunate situation and anxious to leave. When we get more information, we'll come back and inform you. Last night, said Gladys in a low voice. He died last night. Her face showed a complete lack of comprehension, almost as if the officer had been speaking a foreign language. Uh, yes early evening, to be more exact, Rutherford County deputies found a letter with your address in his car and, well, since they were unable to contact anyone in Charlotte, they thought... He broke off and stared at the ground as he searched for something more to say. I hate to have to deliver this kind of news, but now, well, if you don't have any more questions, I need to get back to the station. We're, uh, we're hearing all kinds of problems with the snow and all. 
Yes, of course, said Merle quietly, still as a statue, frozen by what she had heard. The policeman placed his cap back on his head, nodded goodbye, stuffed his hands in his pockets, and trudged through the deep snow across their yard and then down the sidewalk towards downtown Asheville. Memory alone offered the suggestion that a sidewalk even existed there as it was disturbed only by the footprints he had made on his approach to the house moments before. The two sisters stood in their foyer, silent and motionless, and watched him until he was out of sight. Last night, Gladys said again, her words no longer a question as their meaning began to sink in with a chill even greater than the cold wind whipping around their long dresses. That concludes the second of our Dark Holidays mini-season 2020. I hope you enjoyed these little stocking stuffers as treats and not as lumps of coal. Please join us again for our last installment of Holiday Horrors, something a little lighter than usual as we see what happens when Santa visits a haunted house. The story A Promise Kept is in the first collection of horror short stories, The Thirteenth Day of Christmas and Other Tales of Yuletide Horror, which, along with my other books, can be purchased in paperback or ebook formats at gestaltmedia.com. The music for these stories was created and performed by Mombi Yulman, whose other wonderfully eerie, dark, ambient soundscapes can be found at mombiyulman.bandcamp.com. Please visit my website, davidallenboyles.com, for more information about my ongoing projects. I also invite you to join us in the Dark Corners Facebook group for upcoming announcements, background information on the many future projects, and other fun, dark topics shared by the delightfully twisted members. Thanks for listening. I hope to see you again soon in the Dark Corners.